You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. in the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit lives in you and you're submitted completely to His leading. And as He leads, you follow. It's my prayer that this church, our leadership is submitted to the Holy Spirit. When you follow Jesus, you follow behind Him, not in front of Him. And as the Holy Spirit leads, you follow. And you do those things. And where God guides, God provides. And that's what you see around you. That's what you see in this building. It means submitted to the Holy Spirit. It means to be open and sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Many people don't want to surrender to God because they have it in their head that that's weakness. Today, Pastor Dave reminds us that it's the Holy Spirit in us that makes us stronger than we could ever be on our own. When we're walking in harmony with the Lord, His strength is made perfect through our weakness. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 13 as he continues his message from love to lust to hate. Oh, how easy we rationalize our sin. How easy we rationalize the things we do. It's not my fault. I never want to take responsibility for me. It's always your fault for me. I'm never to blame. It's always your fault. If it was David's fault, Ammon would be say, it's not my fault. So the plot's real heavy now. And it seems that everything's working to Ammon's adventure. And here we have the unfortunate incident in 11 through 14. Now, when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said, come, lie with me, my sister. He's asking her to have sexual intercourse. He's asking her, come lie with me. But she answered him, no, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not hold from me. In other words, if you want me, take me as my wife. Take me as your wife. But the king wouldn't probably give him to her. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than he, he forced her to lay with him. He basically rapes her. He basically rapes her. His evil and wicked heart is now exposed. The true self is revealed. He admits his incestuous desire. He wickedly suggests to Tamar that they have sexual relations. Remember again, he's a prince in the house of David. He's in line to ascend to the throne when David dies. He seems to be a spoiled prince who always gets what he wanted. So why can't he have Tamar in his own mind? See, our mind loves to play tricks on us. Our mind loves to tell us that we deserve these things. It's okay to have these things, even when they're horrible. Did Ammon think by any chance, let me run this by it. Did Ammon think by any chance, well, my, my father, the king, committed adultery and murder and got away with it. Why can't I commit rape and get away with it? Must run in the family. I love Tamar's reaction. Poor thing. Don't do this. Could she be any more clear? Don't do this. She tries to appeal to his logic, but he does not listen. He ignores her warnings. Why? Well, friends, lust clouds the mind. 
It clouds our thinking and it blocks our vision. It keeps us from hearing warnings that are given by others. Lust is a powerful, powerful force. It's a powerful force. And unless we're submitted to the Holy Spirit, unless we're submitted to the Lord, that lust is going to run wild. When you're in that way, guarantee you never consider the consequences. You never worry about the consequences. Very sad story. And it doesn't end well for either of them. Tamar easily saw how evil and disgraceful this was. She saw it for what it was, disgraceful. Ammon could not see what was so plainly evident because he was blinded by his lust. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. All these things are taking place right here. The pride of life. I'm the prince. I should have you. The lust of the flesh. I want you. Lust of the eye. She was pleasing to the eye, so he wanted her. In verse 15, we see the sad results. Verse 15, then Ammon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred which he hated her was greater than the love in which he had loved her. And Ammon said to her, arise, be gone. His lust turned to hate. He hated her more than he ever loved her, so therefore he really didn't love her. (laughs) He really didn't love her. When he got what he wanted, he ended up hating her and he throws her out of the room. What a disgrace to this poor young bride, or princess, excuse me. What a disgrace. What was his attraction to her? It was simple lust, not love. He was attracted to Tamar for what he could get from her. He wasn't any concern for her. He could care less. In many lustful relationships, there's a combination of both love and lust, but in his case, it was pure lust. One commentator said this, quote, in this single-minded lust, Ammon only built upon the example of his father. David was never dominated by lust, but he was pointed in the same direction. Remember back in 2 Samuel 3? David began to multiply his marriages. He didn't take God's word on single bride. He started collecting marriages. And then, of course, in 2 Samuel 11, we have the sin with Bathsheba, all in the same direction, all with the same thought. Ammon's guilt made him hate Tamar. He was guilty, and he almost blames her for the the action. Doesn't sound too far from what's going on these days. Unfortunately, it doesn't sound too far at all. Look at 16 and 18. So she said to him, no, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from her and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors for The king's virgin daughters wore such apparel, and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. What a horrible insult. What a horrible, horrible insult. He could have redeemed himself. He could have redeemed himself by at least trying to marry the girl. He could have redeemed himself. And there is is something in Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 22 that talk about this about trying to redeem yourself. He could have put money up there to compensate for the fact that he had taken her virginity. Now who would want to marry her? Now that her virginity was gone, who would want to marry her? And the Hebrew behind the Hebrew phrase, robe of many colors, is this this was a full-length robe. And all the way down, the arms, legs. It was a privilege. It showed status. She was a princess, showing that she didn't have to work much. But he put her out and bolted the door. This isn't one secret at all, because he called the servant in. All the servants knew that she was in there, and now the servant was taking her out. 
She deserved better treatment. Even though she was a woman, she deserved better treatment. Even though she was an Israelite, she deserved better treatment. She deserved better treatment because she was a relative. My goodness, she can go down the whole list. She deserved better treatment because she was a woman. She deserved better treatment because she was a princess. But Ammon treated her terribly. Terribly. Let's read 19 and 20. Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Ammon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother's Absalom's house. She puts ashes on her head. She tears her clothes. Remember when they tore their clothes back then, it was a sign of disgust. It was a sign of hate. She tore her clothes. She treated this calamity as something that was horrible, and it was. She didn't try to hide the truth from this terrible crime that was committed against her. She did not give the place a voice of shame. This was somehow your fault, though she wouldn't take that on. It's interesting that when she saw Absalom, her brother, he knew. I wonder how he knew. Maybe he saw the look in her face. Did he know where she was? Probably. Has your brother been with you? Ammon probably thought he had concealed everything. Nevertheless, it was so obvious that Absalom, that he immediately knew that Ammon was responsible. Part of the blindness of lust leads a lustful man or woman to believe that his actions are not apparent. It leads them to believe that his actions are not apparent. Tamar didn't go right to her father, David, because she knew how he tended to be indulgent to his sons. David was an indulgent dad, and he excused all kinds of evils up until this point. But when he does find out, he's angry. Let's look at 20 and 21. When King David heard all these things, he was angry. But it doesn't say he did anything about it, just says he was angry. He had a right to be angry, but he didn't do anything to protect Tamar or correct Ammon. Maybe he was conscious of his own guilt. Maybe his own guilt was still on his mind, and he felt like it could correct them. Because they might throw it back in his face and go, well, what about you, Dad? What about you? Absalom played it cool. His devious nature, he started to set things in, in work. He would get his due. Absalom would use this situation to his advantage because Absalom had his eye on one thing. He had his eye on the crown. Absalom had his eye on the crown, and he knew that he had to get rid of Brother Ammon to get to the crown. He knew that Ammon was in the way of the crown. So Absalom saw, saw something in this that would help him out. Don't you see how this plot is getting thicker and thicker and thicker? It's getting crazy. We're going to see in future studies that Absalom will use this advantage to his situation. And Absalom was well aware of his brother's heritage. But if you look at the case of Ammon, the very classic case in point of how he was only using his sister. He had no real desire for her. He didn't have her benefit in mind. He was only seeking her for his own personal gratification. And once he got his personal gratification, he threw her out like an old dirty rag. He wasn't looking for a meaningful relationship. He wasn't looking for a wife. He wasn't looking for someone that could bestow true love upon. And he didn't want to benefit her, to build her up, to bless her. He was just seeking an object to which he could satisfy his own fleshly and lustly desires. Ammon said it was love, but it wasn't. It was just lust. And as I was sitting here, I, I started to think New Testament. Obviously, Ammon wasn't walking in the Spirit. He wasn't walking even close to the Spirit. You know what Galatians 6.15 says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? 
It means to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit and have that power exuding from you, you ain't going to be able to do anything. You have no control. If you don't let the Holy Spirit into your life, if you don't let the Holy Spirit control your life, submit your life to the Holy Spirit, then why are you trying to live the Christian life? You can't. You can't do it. It's impossible. Ammon was walking totally in the flesh. Everything he did was flesh. Remember what Paul said? That the flesh and the spirit are enmity with one another. They're constant fighting. Which one wins? The one you feed the most. The one you feed the most wins. You feed the flesh, you sow to the flesh and reap to the flesh. You sow to the spirit, you reap the things of the spirit. Oh my gosh, he was not walking in the spirit. You have to have your heart and mind set on things that are spiritual. Looking for things that are spiritual. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is guiding you and leading you. In Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your affections on things above, not on the things of earth. What are the things above? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And some of you don't want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit because you're afraid of the control. Well, the Holy Spirit's going to make me run around the block naked for five times. I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to do that. I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to do that. Besides, Scripture says, you have control over the Spirit. He's not going to make you do those kind of things. He's not going to make you make a fool of yourself. He might lead you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. He might lead you to talk to somebody. He might give you the power to speak to somebody. I mean, that's what the whole thing at, at Pentecost was, wasn't it? Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the outermost portions of the world. Wait, seek. Jesus called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you call it being filled or if you can call it whatever, but Jesus called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's something that we all need in our Christian life. We need the Holy Spirit. You call yourself a son of God or a daughter of God. In Rome, in, in Paul's letter to the Romans, he says, but as many are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Walking the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit lives in you and you're submitted completely to His leading. And as He leads, you follow. It's my prayer that this church, our leadership is submitted to the Holy Spirit. When you follow Jesus, you follow behind Him, not in front of Him. And as the Holy Spirit leads, you follow and you do those things. And where God guides, God provides. And that's what you see around you. That's what you see in this building. It means submitted to the Holy Spirit. It means to be open and sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted to go to Asia, and the Spirit said no. He wanted to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit said no, because he had something for him to do in Macedonia. Paul was sensitive to the Spirit. He was listening to the Spirit's cry. If you listen, he will speak. He will guide you and lead you. How does he guide and lead you? Through his word. He guides and leads you through his word. He'll lead you through your, his, your word, and he will give you direction. How can you tell if someone's walking in the spirit? Well, they kind of remind you of Jesus. They kind of remind you of Jesus. When someone who walks in the spirit, they listen to what the spirit says, and he guides them in the path and the nature of Jesus. Remember, I said the Holy Spirit is working inside you, conforming you to his image. There's no way you can fulfill the lust of the flesh if you're walking in the Spirit, it won't happen. The two simply don't go together. The Holy Spirit doesn't move in us to gratify our fallen desires. 
He moves in us for one purpose, to make us witnesses of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. We're witnesses of Him. It's the key to righteous living, walking in the Spirit, not living under the domination of the law. The law was paid for on the cross. We've been saved by grace through faith. We've been saved by grace. God has poured His grace out upon us, His unmerited favor, and it's given to us. And then He says, okay, I'm going to give you a reason and a way to live this life. The Holy Spirit. There's so many good reading books out there on the Holy Spirit. So many good books. But the Bible is the best one. The Bible is the best commentary on itself. And you read through here about how much God is willing to give you the Holy Spirit if you would just ask. If you ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, to give you the power, the power, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. Stop walking like you have an anchor around your leg. Stop walking with an anchor around your leg. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you that power to do it. So many of us are caught in bondage still. Yes, you're Christian. I'm not denying that. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you are. But there could be so much more. So much more of God wants from you. God wants to do in your lives. We see this Ammon lusted after this poor young sister of his. And his lust was so great he couldn't control it and he had to have her because he wasn't trusting in the Holy Spirit. He wasn't trusting in the Spirit of God. And we see this. We see this in our own lives. We want what we want and we want it now. Well, I should have it. I need it. I want it. Should be mine. Really? We see that time and time again. Ammon made a terrible mistake and his lust is eventually going to cost him his life. His lust is going to eventually cost him life, and it's going to cause further pain as the chastisement of David continues on through this chapter. Absalom is going to devise a plan, and he will kill his brother Ammon. Tamar is disgraced. She's disgraced. Absalom is going to make a play for the kingdom. He's basically going to run David out of town. He's going to go into David's concubines and sleep with them, just as was prophesied in chapter 12. David paid a dear price for this sin of his with Bathsheba, a heavy, dear price. But yet, God calls him a man after his own heart because David still never ceased to worship God. Even in the midst of his trials, even in the midst of his hard times, even in the midst of the pain of losing son after son, even in the midst of pain of having a daughter disgraced, even in the midst of all that pain, he never lost sight of God. He never lost his relationship with God again. There's a story for us here, isn't there? There's a story that we can glean from this. This is just not something that's written in a book that we go, this is a nice story. In fact, it's not a nice story. It's kind of a nasty story. This whole section is nasty for me to even read and teach on. But we have to look at it because it's in God's Word. We have to glean from it that which we can apply to our lives today. What are you doing that's fleshly? Are you hanging around with the wrong people? Do you see something and you go after it and you want it if you know it's not God's will? We, we need to be relying on the Holy Spirit. We, there's so many lessons in this story that we can glean from. Not just a cute little romance novel something that we can put down. God's word is there for a reason, and we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only, which means we need to apply it to our lives. We have to apply God's word to our lives, or it's meaningless to us. Why study it if you're not going to apply it to your life? Oh, I know that, but, you know, no, no. 
It's God's word. Inerrant, infallible, perfect word of God. Penned by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Man, are we so fortunate. We're so fortunate. But Ammon had the first five books of the Bible. Ammon and David, around that time, I don't know, they might have had Isaiah, they might have had some of the other things, I don't know. I don't know what their library was, but I do know they had the law. I do know they had the Torah. They had the first five books. That I know for sure. It's all written there. I, I read this and read this and read this, and, and I couldn't go any further. I just couldn't go any further because it's just it's a sad story to see how lives have turned out and ended up. I don't want to bum anybody out. I don't want to be, end on a downer. You need to know and experience God's love. You need to know that his grace is sufficient for all our needs, that his grace continues to pour out on us like, an, like the waves of the ocean. God always is there. You can never be too far away from God. You can always turn back, and he will always accept you if your heart is right and if you have a contrite heart and you're broken for him to come back. He will accept you. Don't feel like you're far away. You can never be too far away. He's right behind you. And if you turn around, I can guarantee standing there like this. He's waiting for you to turn around. So let's, let's think of that. Meditate on these things. Meditate on the things that are besetting us. I was talking to a gentleman today who has Parkinson's disease. I was talking to him, and, and he was very angry at the Lord. He can't understand what he did wrong to get Parkinson's. And I told him that you didn't do anything wrong. I said, it, it's part of the curse, the sin. It's, we have this sin nature. It's part of this nature. And you didn't do anything wrong, per se. And I told him that he needs to study and look at our, one of our favorite verses back in Philippians. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, anything that's praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And you can take Jesus and put him in every single one of those descriptors, because that's Jesus Christ. We need to meditate on him. We need to draw close to him and allow God to draw close to us. The closer I am to Jesus, the less I'm going to fall into something else. I told this man that you need to draw close to Christ, and he understood that. Understood that. We prayed together. We, we, we had, a, had a great time together. But I was astounded by his faith. Because even though he was mad at God, he still believed in God. He still knew that God was in control, but he was angry at God for his situation. I understood that. I understood that. And I told him, well, there were times when in David's Psalms that David was angry. David was angry at God sometimes. But if you start reading the Psalm, you know, we've discussed it before. Oh, Lord, I'm being attacked. Kill these guys. Help me. Help me. Help me. And then halfway through the Psalm, it's, Lord, you are the greatest thing. You're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. Why? Because David's meditating on God. He's not meditating on his circumstances. Get your eyes off the circumstance and meditate on God. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do in our life. You are the book of 2 Samuel continues the story of King David as he's finally able to ascend the throne. Though he seemed to have achieved God's calling on his life, David's journey wasn't free of problems. David was still human, and he made mistakes that affected him and those he loved. But during the rest of his life, no matter where it took him, David remained a man after God's own heart. When confronted with his sin, David consistently turned back to his heavenly father, confessing and asking for forgiveness, 
David knew he wasn't perfect and that he needed the mercy only God could provide. Today, we hope you too remember that God's mercy is worth seeking. He's provided for you the grace you need to live free from your sin through the blood of Jesus. Jesus came to die on the cross in your place, taking the punishment your sins deserved. Would you like to know more about having your sins forgiven? Please visit our website then, assurehoperadio.com. Click on How to Be Saved to learn all about what Jesus has done for you and why you need His grace in your life. If you still have questions or would like us to pray with you, please don't hesitate to call us, 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We're so glad you tuned in today. You can hear more messages like this from Pastor Dave at our website as well. Just click on podcasts slash radio when you visit assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope.